It is what Bowling Green Christian Church is all about. It is a, a sort of a retooling of our mission statement here at the church. If you didn't catch last week's uh, sermon, I, I would encourage you to go online, get it on the podcast. You can get to that from the church's website at bowlinggreenchristianchurch.org or bowlinggreenchristian.org. Um, because I'd love for us to all start the year together on the same foot, sort of on the same, same page. Uh, last week we talked about how what we really needed was to be less so that Jesus could be more. And this morning I want to sort of unveil what less means, what uh, all of it stands for. Um, but I want us to start with just asking that real simple question, which is, okay, yeah, last week that made a lot of sense that we want to be less so that Jesus can be more. But how do we start with that? How do we, how do we make ourselves less? How do we become less so that Jesus can be more? Because here's the thing is, is that if you're like me and, and if you're here at church, I, I think that you're here because you are interested in that. Uh, I don't know about you, but when there's a lot more Weston than there is Jesus in me, not great things happen. I'm not always proud of those moments. I find myself saying, I'm sorry, I didn't, didn't mean to say that, or I'm sorry, I should have waited, or I find myself speaking instead of listening. I find myself acting uh, quickly or reacting instead of responding in a way that is loving and Christ-like and that I'm even proud of. But, but when there's more of God inside of me, I find that I'm happier with who I am. I look back at that day and I go, man, this was a good day. I'm pleased with that. So how do we get from having too much of me to having more of God? And it starts with love. It starts with love. If we're going to have less of us and more of Jesus, we, we will start to be less when we love God and when we put him first. That's, that's kind of step one, is that it starts with love. In a world that seems like everything has gone wrong, you know, you just turn on the news and there's new military conflict uh, someplace, or you turn on the news and there's a new scandal that's erupted in Washington, or you turn on the news and, and there's been a new shooting in someplace, and, and these are tragic events. And, and they often leave us sort of wondering, like, well, what do we do? You know, where do, how are we to respond to this? I would say that the answer is to start with love. And it's not even on a global scale. I mean, it's on a real small scale, too. I mean, because most of us, we hear those things on the news and we feel terrible about them, but there's not a lot that we're going to maybe do about the conflict in Syria as an individual today. But today, I'm going to go and I'm going to have to have lunch with somebody that I have a hard time loving. Maybe it's an in-law or a distant relation or a friend or a, maybe it's a spouse or or maybe I'm going to have to get together with this person. Or, or tomorrow morning, man, I've got to deal with this coworker, and this coworker is, man, I, I've got trouble with them where it's my boss, and I, I don't know how to, to deal with these people. I, I don't have to worry about the conflict in Syria. I've got conflict you know, at work or at home. What do I do about that? Well, I, I think the answer is the same. It's we start with love. And we, we ask, you know, ourselves, what is the most loving thing I could do for this person or for, or for that person or for this situation or for this group of people? And yet as I say that, I suspect that we've got a lot of resistance to that because we're like, well, okay, <laughs> that sounds good. And like, I know that's the technical, like the church answer, right? Because, you know, I'm supposed to like love everybody. Jesus loves me. I got that. But you don't know this person that I'm called to love. How do I love the unlovable people? 
And I think the answer to that, the short one, is that you probably don't have it in you. Because here's the thing, is that love originates with God. And that's why if we're going to start becoming less and we're going to have more of God and less of ourselves, we're going to have to allow God to come into us. I've got a verse we're going to put on the screen here. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. It says, Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Uh, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. Here you get the picture, and I know that this is theological and, and theoretical to some extent, but, but here's what really happens, is that when we start with love, and we recognize that, that love doesn't start with me, but it starts with God, and we realize that God has sent His Son to, to be our Savior, and we accept Jesus Christ, we know that we get this gift of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit of love comes and fills our hearts. And it is God that enables us to love the unlovable and to love the difficult. It's this spirit of love that helps us to go to lunch and, and get through a difficult time, maybe even enjoying it as we see God's love unfold and come to fruition in, in relationships that were previously strained, whether it's in-laws or, or a, a marriage or whether it's with an ex that you've still got to deal with. I mean, all of these things, what are we do? How do we get going on this? It's, it's we start with love, and we start with God's love. We start there. Now, some of you, as you're thinking about this mission, you, you've maybe been with us for a while, and you're like, well, starting with love, that sounds a lot like what we were all about before. Well, it, it really is. You know, we, we've always said, you know, loving God through worship is sort of like job one for Bowling Green Christian Church. That's what we really want to be about. And that's going to lead into other things like loving the church through fellowship and loving the world through evangelism and loving the, the broken through compassion. That's the mission, and that's really still our same mission. But, but here's the thing is, as we looked at those words, we realized all those were sort of like nouns. You know, it's, it's hard to run around and co- I'm going to compassion you. That just doesn't, that doesn't work that well. I'm going to be a compassioner today. It, it, it just it didn't flow right. And fellowship, I mean, nobody does that unless you're at church. And if you're going to maybe tell somebody that's not been to church, say, I'm going to go this weekend, I'm going to enjoy some fellowship. You know, what, what does that really mean? And the word evangelism, for me, and maybe not for you because you're more spiritual than I am, it conjures up people with bad hair on the TV and the little ticker on the bottom is saying, you know, if you just send money right now, you know, we will pray for you at this moment. And so these words just seemed kind of dated and tired. And so the elders and the staff and, and myself, we got together and we said, well, what, what are we going to do? What, how do we want to communicate who we are as a congregation? And we said, you know, let's make sure that these are, are, are words that we can do. And so here they are. Less means that as a church, we want to be committed to love God and everybody else. We want to encourage we're going to talk mostly about the church there, but anybody that's discouraged, we want to share the gospel and we want to serve with grace. So that's what less is all about, is love and courage, share and serve. And that's who we as a church want to be about. Uh, you know, as we talk about loving God, yes, that means worship, but it doesn't just mean come and, and sing some songs. It, it means that we lay our lives down 
for God. Worship's a great biblical word that means to, to fall down on your face and to, to surrender your life to God. And that's where it starts. It starts with the love of God. That love hopefully spills out and as we you know, think about becoming encouraging to the church and anybody discouraged. Now, what do we mean by encourage? We're going to talk about that in two weeks. When we talk about encourage the church, we're not just talking about like saying nice things to people so they feel better about themselves. Like, yeah, no, your hair looks really great. No, yeah, no, that, that looks good on you. No, I, I think you, you know, maybe if you keep singing really long in the shower, maybe you could make the praise team. I mean, not, not this kind of encouragement, but, but encouragement that helps people to be more like Christ. I want to give you a, a passage here, Hebrews chapter um, 10, 24 through 25 is the verse. It says, let us consider, what's that word there? Let us consider how to, read the word, how to provoke. Let us, it, thank you. Let us consider how to provoke. Okay, good. This is how that works. Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, if you were going to get your um, the thesaurus thing out, they used to print these kids. Uh, it was a book that listed synonyms and antonyms, words that mean the same and words that mean different. You wouldn't put provoke and encourage together as synonyms. You wouldn't say, oh yeah, that's the same word. But here's the thing, if, if you brought your Greek Bible with you this morning, it, you were not going to be surprised when I tell you this, when, if you brought your Greek Bible this morning, the word provoke and the word encourage actually is the same Greek word. It's the same one, and by the same I mean it's the same, like it's printed there and then it's printed there, okay? It's the same word, it, it's, it's it. Uh, the old word for that used to be exhort, uh, but the biblical word for this is encourage, encourage. It's not just saying nice things about somebody. It's helping them to be who they want to be. That's what it is. It's kind of like a coach. You, you come off the field and you did bad and they're in your face and they're saying, you know, that was sloppy. You mess this up. I know you can do better. Get out there and do it. And then you go and you're determined to get out there and to do it. That's how that works. That's the biblical idea of encourage. And so when we talk about encourage, we're going to talk about how can we help each other to be a little more like Jesus. The, the, third, or the, second, the third letter, the first S, is share the gospel. Uh, our mission hasn't changed. Jesus left the earth, and he recorded for us that we should go and tell people about him. And what people are we to tell? He said, well, I want you to go tell everybody from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so since we haven't fallen off planet earth yet, then anybody you bump into is somebody that you should tell about Jesus. And the last uh, S, the last letter here is that we want to serve. We want people that, that serve with grace. These are people that we're going to love and care for because they can't care for themselves. We're going to love for them because maybe people have called them unlovable or we're just going to love them because they're there and we're going to love them. Uh, we're going to care for people that can maybe someday turn around and do something nice for us, and we're going to care for people that will never, ever be able to turn around and do something nice for us. And we're going to serve people that will, at one point in their life, accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we will serve other people who will never receive Jesus Christ as their Savior because we're going to serve unconditionally. That's what Jesus is about. He's about serving, caring, showing his love in action. Now, as I talk about this, I talk about serving, I talk about all these kinds of things, I know a lot of people will go, well, you know, that sounds really great. Why don't we just serve? Why, you know, why bother come to church? Doesn't that just like take up valuable time in our week? I want to say this, that, that we need to do this. When we put God first, 
we will naturally help those around us. It's important that we get this right, that we start with love, that we start in this order of loving God first. Because out of that relationship with God, that primary relationship with God, everything else comes into place. Now, some of you, maybe you disagree with that. You, you, you argue with me here in your mind. You're thinking, well, you know, there's a lot of people out there that do good and they're not Christians. Well, yeah, I get that. But, but there's something about being a Christ follower that has enabled the church to persistently be a compassionate witness, a, a compassionate servant. I mean, from the beginning to, to the I mean, you go to the book of Acts, they're taking care of widows, they're taking care of the poor, they're taking care of the hungry, till t- to today, the church is, is the largest provider of, of health care and of, of, of compassion and of, of response. I mean, it just is. What is it that makes that? There's something about that primary relationship with God that has enabled that to be true for centuries. How about this? You think about Bowling Green, just Bowling Green, not around the world or in history, but just today. You go into Bowling Green and you look at every resource that's out there for homeless folks. You've got the Salvation Army, which is a church. You've got Room at the Inn, which is a collection of churches. And then you've got the Foundry, which is the United Methodist Church's uh, emergency shelter for folks. Every single one of those is a church organization. I've never, ever, ever seen, and this doesn't mean it doesn't exist, it just means that I've never seen it. I've been to a lot of places, I've seen a lot of things. I have never seen the first Atheist Association homeless shelter. I'm just, I'm not even really trying to be funny, I'm just sort of laying it out there for you. I've never seen that. I, it, it just, I've never seen it. You go from town to town to town to town, and you will find the church caring for those that can't care for themselves and who cannot repay them. Because the church says we're supposed to do that. Because they start with love, the love of God, everything else gets right somehow. It doesn't mean we're perfect and it doesn't mean we've made mistakes because goodness knows we have. But when you start with love, the love of God, with that primary relationship, everything else seems to come into place. Think about it this way. Paul talks about this in Ephesians. He says that marriage is a picture of what Christ's love is, is like for the church. And, and so, it kind of based on that, you think about, well, you think about a family unit, you think about, you know, maybe a mom and a dad, and they've got kids. Um, you know, anything you do to invest in that relationship between husband and wife there is good for the kids. It's, it's good for the kids. Uh, it's interesting, this, this, I just ran across this this week, that actually, uh, th- this idea of, 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 of a marriage actually mattering uh, has come to the attention of Princeton University and the Brookings Institution, uh, which said that most scholars now agree that children raised by two biological parents in a stable marriage do better than children in other family forms across a wide range of outcomes. So, uh, I mean, sort of, I guess what God's always said, which is, you know, marriage and family matters, um, you know, science has now proven this to be true. This is good. Um, how about this one? Also, the Washington Post actually found this, that the, the, any state, when they looked at states, state-by-state state comparison, the share of parents who are married in a state is a better predictor of that state's economic health than the racial composition and educational attainment of the state's residents. So in other words, how do you know if your state's going to be financially viable or successful? You look at the status of the family and the marriage, and you can say, yeah, that seems to be a pretty stable place. Now, I, I'm, I'm not, this isn't a sermon on family or marriage. It could be, I suppose, real quick. But what I'm coming at is this, is that when a couple invests in their marriage, invests in their relationship, we don't say, oh, man, that's being selfish. You're ignoring the kids. No, we, we somehow get it. 
that you're also doing it for the kids. That if mom and dad are happy with each other, then doesn't that help everybody else out? And the answer is yes, it does. But, but somehow when we come to the church, I know some of you maybe still are unpersuaded. You think, well, I don't know how coming to church and how worship and all these things, how does that make me a, a better servant? And we may not explain the how this morning, but I do want to say that it does. I, maybe in a mysterious way it does. If we were to go around the room this morning and I was to take a microphone and I was going to ask you this question, tell me who the best servant is. Who, who's the most serving servant you can think of? Like who's the most impactful, life-changing servant that you can think of in all of time and all of history? It, it wouldn't take us long before one particular name was mentioned, Mother Teresa. I mean, like it's like, like the, the stock answer for who's like the most selfless servant you can think of Mother Teresa just sort of shows up there in your mind. And you think about Mother Teresa, yes, she cared for all those folks in India that are poor and suffering, the orphans, and loved the unlovable when people wouldn't go there and care for folks. She was there. She founds an organization called the Missionaries of Charity, and they do all of this good work for people. This week I ran across what their actual schedule is. Most monasteries and, and convents run with what they call a rule of life. Here's what the rule of life is for the Missionaries of Charity. At 4.30, uh, between 4.30 and 5, they rise and get cleaned up. So if you're not a morning person, you're waking up at 5. If you're an early riser, you're getting up at 4.30. Uh, from 5 to 6.30, they have prayers and mass. So read that there is church. So you've got prayers and mass. Um, then you've got breakfast from 6.30 to 8. That's a 90-minute breakfast. I guarantee you that's more time than anybody in this room spent on breakfast this morning. I just, I know that. I know that, Okay. Then they work for the poor from 8 to 12.30. And then they take a two-hour lunch break and rest. Okay, so read that as a nap and lunch. Okay, that's what they're doing. They're, they're, they're having lunch and a nap. Why? Because they got up at 4.30. I mean, they're tired. And then they get up from their nap, and from 2.30 to 3, you know, they're, they need to have some spiritual reading and meditation. You know, they need to put that in there. And then it's tea time from 3 to 3.15. From 3.15 to 4.30, it's adoration. Read that as prayer, or contemplation, meditation. That's what that is, 3.15 to 4.30. So an hour and 15 minutes. And then they go back to work. So try checking out at your office from 12.30 to 4.30. See how that goes for you. Uh, 4.30, they show back up. They care for the poor for another uh, two and a half hours. I've got my math, or no, three hours complete there. And then they have dinner for an hour and a half and clean up. And then another 45 minutes of nightly prayer, and then it's bedtime. You know, of all of the things they do in there, yes, they work for the poor for seven hours, but did you catch that they spend five hours in prayer and devotion because they get what's important? They've got to put that primary relationship with God there first. They put another five hours into relationships with each other. They invest in the community and sharing a meal together. How is it that you think anybody could spend decades of their life working in the slums of Calcutta if they didn't have something like that to strengthen them? Friends, it's important that we start with love. We start with God's love. Mother Teresa understood what John told us in 1 John 4.19 where he says, we love because he first loved us. And so this morning, well, I mean, we would probably all be better to get up tomorrow morning at 4.30 and then have church from 5 to 6.30 tomorrow. That's probably just not going to happen. I get that. 
And so this morning, as I challenge you, I want to challenge you to do this, to start with love, to put God first here in this new year. I want to give you two real simple challenges. One is I would like to challenge you to bookend your day with God, to, to begin and to end your day with God. I, I think that's really, the more I've struggled through my own prayer life, I have found that if, if it doesn't happen on both sides of the day, it, it, you miss out. So I would challenge you this morning to bookend your day with God. Start it with prayer, end it with prayer. You know, we live in a time where you could probably leave here today and Google email devotions, and you'd probably get a million hits, and you could probably have a thousand devotional thoughts and scriptures sent to your inbox tomorrow. You could make that happen. We live in a time and a place where the resources to connect with God on a daily basis, you know, coming to our phones, to our workstations, has never been more, uh, you know, more prolific, and yet I feel like we're stuck. And so as we start this new year, let's make that a, a commitment that we're going to bookend our day with God. Prayer, um, study, scripture, just being quiet before the Lord. Let, let's make a commitment to do that, to start with love and to be with God at the beginning and end of our day. The second thing I want to challenge you to do is this, is to make church a priority. To, to come here, to be in worship. And it's, you're not coming here to hear me, okay? If you were coming here to hear me, I would say don't come here because it's early and you could give 90 minutes to breakfast and you could just podcast the whole thing at home. The point of coming to church isn't the sermon. It's the worship. It's worshiping God. It's telling God that we have gathered here this morning in the name of Jesus Christ because we believe that Jesus Christ is worthy of the first thing we do on the first day of, of the week. And so we are here to, to just give ourselves to you, Lord. Make worship a priority. Don't just settle for streaming something or podcasting something or, or, or having somebody read you something at home. Be at church. Next week, I'm going to challenge you to get involved, to, to become a, a part of one of those encouraging relationships. But this morning, I just want to challenge you to come to church. And so last year, if you were on the, the once-a-month plan of coming to church, maybe you get on the twice-a-month plan. You could double it up. Most people find that an hour a week really isn't all that much. I think you could do it. Let's make that a commitment this year to, to come and to put God first to start with love. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you started with love, that you saw us in our sinfulness, and you didn't start in anger and you didn't start in punishment, but you started with love. And we're so thankful for that. And, and this morning, Lord, I, I commit myself, and I pray that my brothers and sisters here this morning would make a commitment to start this year with love, that they would begin and end their day with you, that they would begin each week gathered in worship, praising praising you, praising you for all the great things you've done, especially for the cross. And so Lord, I pray that you'd strengthen us, that this year we'd be a church that is committed to being less so that you could be more in us. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.